Make more birdies. A bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. This is not a tip. This is a prescription, trust me. Mm. If you don't, you will fall out of balance. Welcome to Birdies and Bourbon. Sit down and have a sip. Welcome back, everybody, to the Birdies and Bourbon Show. Uh, this is going to be a treat for Dan and myself as uh, we get a chance to talk with Nora Ganley Roper and Adam Polanski from Lost Lantern. Thanks so much, guys, for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us on. We're excited to be here virtually. Absolutely. Uh, yes, we are, and we can't wait to do this in person. Uh, before we get to know a little more about Lost Lantern and uh, the cool things that y'all are up to, you want to walk us through what we're going to be tasting as we uh, as we get to know you? Absolutely. So we're going to be tasting through three whiskeys, and we're a little different than distilleries. We're actually an independent bottler, which means we buy whiskey from all around the country. And our first whiskey we're going to taste is our blend of American single malts. And the second two are bourbons from two different distilleries in uh, places that are not quite as uh, as common. So we think that'll be fun to taste some unusual whiskey with you. I think it's going to be fantastic. And we'll talk a little about these uh, as we're sipping through them and getting to know you. So we're going to hit the uh, American vatted malt first. Yes. Yes. And then we're going to, we're going to do cedar. I'm imagining we're going to do cedar Ridge second. Yes. Yeah, correct. And then uh, Balconis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we'll get into, uh, or uh, Nora and Adam will share a little about why we're tasting in that order as we, as we kind of progress through. So, uh, you know, Adam, as you mentioned, you're a little bit different from, uh, you know, the, what most people think about from a traditional uh, distiller, right? So you're, you're, uh, you're, you're making the, the juice that's going in the bottle and you guys are going through and sourcing. Uh, really, really awesome story. And uh, so kind of walk us through or, well, first, tell us a little about yourselves. Who, who are you and uh, who's Lost Lantern? Well, that's the fun thing is, is telling you a little bit about ourselves is the same as walking through the business a little bit. <laughs> oh, cool. We, we both come from the whiskey industry and we started this company a little, uh, launched our first whiskeys about seven, eight months ago, but we've been in the whiskey industry for a while. Uh, I used to be a journalist. I was writing and reviewing uh, craft whiskeys for Whiskey Advocate uh, and Nora. And I worked as sales manager at Aster Wines and Spirits out of New York City. Cool. So okay. we've, we've both worked in the whiskey world and trained our palates for many years before starting this. And the business actually comes from something that we really wanted to see in the industry, which is independent bottling is something that is done all over Scotland. And there are many companies that do this exact thing, which is buying whiskey from distilleries all over the place and then blending them or bottling them as single casts with full transparency. And we both fell in love with American whiskey and specifically new craft distilleries in the U.S. during our time at Whiskey Advocate and at Aster Wines and Spirits. And we knew that there was this swath of whiskey out there that we didn't, couldn't get our hands on or didn't know enough, even with our backgrounds, to know what was good and what wasn't and all of the ins and outs of the distilleries. And so we were looking for this kind of independent bottler to curate that for us. Cool. And there, there wasn't anyone out there. So we had probably a year's worth of conversations going, where is this company to, and it eventually morphed into we're the ones who should start this company. And then that's, that's how Lost Lantern came to be. Yeah. Nice. And they kicked it off. We kicked it off with an eight month road trip all around the United States. Well before the pandemic <laughs> to visit distilleries all across the country and like get to see firsthand exactly how they're doing things and tell them about what we're up to. And that was a, a really wonderful experience to travel the breadth of the country like that. 
Yeah, talk about timing, right? I mean, uh, you, you, I mean, you, you had a fine window there that could have, uh, it wouldn't have derailed you, right? But it definitely would have been a little more challenging, right? And kind of the, the, the upstart, so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think one of the things that I really like about you and, and you know, we're, uh, we're fans of, you know, if you want to call them uh, boutique, independent, you know, however you want to label the, the smaller distilleries, right? So uh, more regional, if you will, uh, you know, kind of looking for those uh, certain terroirs in the, uh, that, that you're getting from different places across the, uh, across the U.S. And, and I guess one of the questions that I kind of had is, you know, w- when, you, when you decided you're going to do this and it's how do we get access? to these whiskeys um did you did you already know kind of where you were going to start or was it more the mindset of we're just going to start and we'll kind of let it lead us to where we get to there were a handful of distilleries that we already knew that we really wanted to work with because we had gotten to know their whiskey when we were in new york we were really excited about them um and, but we decided pretty early on that we were only going to work with places we visited in person uh, because we wanted to see how they do things. Um, and that did influence what was what was in our first releases. And our blend really came out of conversations that we had on the road because we kept visiting distilleries that were making American single malt. And we kept hearing, this is really cool. I've always wanted to play around with blending other people's whiskey. I wish I could do that. And after we heard that for maybe the third time, we decided, why don't we just invite all of these great distillers and blenders to come to one place together and bring whiskey, and we will actually create this blend together. So that's what we did, and that feels like it arose very organically out of our trip and was not something we had we had expected at the beginning. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm almost thinking that, and you, you mentioned New York. I don't know who Alan Katz is that uh, yeah. we're, we're name droppers here. So don't be afraid <laughs> to, uh, to throw them out. And, and Alan's been on the show quite a few times and, and we actually did a barrel pick with Alan. So uh, yeah, awesome dude. And awesome things they're doing at New York distilling, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking too, like, so you're going to, you're going to take somebody else's product, and you're going to kind of manipulate it and, and massage it into, uh, you know, what's your palette or vision of, of where you want that product to be. Was there some, re- was there any reluctancy on, on your two's behalf in the beginning of how do we approach this in a cautious enough way where we're going to get more yeses than nos? Or, or can you kind of, kind of set, did I set that up kind of good enough for you to answer the question? Yeah, that was actually something we thought about a lot at the beginning and it, turned out pretty quickly. It was less of an issue than we thought, in part because a lot of these distillers already knew us at least a little bit and, and sure. trusted us. And the way that we put out our whiskey, especially our single cast, is it's at cast strength. It's non-chill filtered. We're not we're not doing that much of anything to it. Eventually, we'll be doing some of our own finishes. But it's, it's whiskey in its pure form. Um, and some of these distilleries don't release things that way all that much. Um, we actually did uh, our very first rye cask came from, from Alan from New York Distilling Company. Yeah. Um, I'm like, we should have, we should have sent you that too. But, um, <laughs> well, it, it, they're both, they're both <laughs> sold out now. So these are more fun because you actually got things that are still out on the market. Yeah. So. yeah. But it's never too late to send more samples. We can always jump back on. So. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I, mean, I, I really think it's cool. Right. And again, I mean, from our perspective and, and what we're trying to do, and it's, it's really fun to talk to, I mean, it's fun to talk to everybody and the most people in the whiskey world. Let me, let me frame that. Sometimes I'm not that much fun, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you think about what's happening, right. And, and, you know, I think we're going through, uh, well, 
we've been going through kind of that that craft or boutique distillery boom right now right and and i don't think we're anywhere near done right i think we still got a long way to go and you know i kind of equate it back to um uh the uh, the craft uh, brewery boom mm-hmm. that happened in I don't know, 2000 ish. It probably kind of got going and, you know, and it's still going pretty strong. So uh, I really appreciate the, uh, the affinity that you have and, you know, kind of what you're doing to reach out and, and bring, uh, bring these whiskeys to folks that might otherwise not do them. Right. I mean, you got your, Hey, I'm a maker's mark man or person. I'm a Jack person. You know, you, you kind of got these things and there's so many other, uh, you know, different, uh, expressions out there that I think a lot of people miss out on by not kind of taking that plunge and going down that road. So I, I think it's really cool what you uh, what, what you all are doing in, in this area. So tell us, uh, as we're drinking the American vatted malt, and this kind of yeah, I'll let you guys tell it. It's uh, it, you know, it's your uh, it's your product, but you got quite a few names here. And I've tasted some of the whiskeys in here. Some of them I haven't yet. Uh, but uh, what, what's the thought process? And you're going to take six uh, six barrels, right, or, or six picks, and you're going to blend those together, and you're going to create this uh, concoction. Yeah, so it's six distilleries, twelve barrels, and as Adam said, we we made this collaboratively with the distilleries because we think American single malt is a really, really exciting and interesting area of American whiskey in general. And we also come from the Scottish tradition and we know that blending single malts from different distilleries works really well there. So we, we assumed, and we think we're right in that it also, they play really, really well here. And we thought, a lot of bourbon drinkers and rye drinkers haven't necessarily had a lot of American single malt. Mm -hmm. So we thought it would be a great way to bring that to them. One of the things we really wanted to do was have some new American oak on the casks that we worked with because it would taste uniquely American and because most scotch doesn't have the new American oak. So we wanted this first blend to be a great entry point or for people who really like single malt already, a great view into the landscape of American single malt at this time. And once the pandemic is past us, this will be an annual release that we will make collaboratively with an ever increasing group of uh, single malt producers. And we think it'll be, it'll change in flavor profile over time as single malt in the U.S. evolves. And, and is that going to be when you say it's going to change in its profile? Are you is are you aging anything after the fact, or you're just saying as the as the releases come or the picks come from the distilleries, uh, you might have some variations there. So each cask will be different this time. I mean the cast. So the the six distilleries that we worked with were Balcones out of Texas, Copperworks out of Seattle, Santa Fe Spirits out of New Mexico, Triple Eight out of Massachusetts, um, Virginia Distillery out of Virginia and Westward whiskey out of Oregon. And each of them brought really unique barrels from even within their own program. So a lot of them have really interesting finishes or some are peated or smoked. And so the range of flavors that are coming from those barrels will change over time as will the um, distilleries themselves. And sometimes we'll intentionally change the profile and ask people to bring certain kind of casks. And sometimes it'll just be that the casks are older or they have interesting things that they want to contribute to the blending process. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a beautiful expression. Uh, look, I see the legs on that baby, and that thing is <laughs> that thing is nice, man. Uh, yeah, I'm getting kind of orange peel, some caramel. Uh, I'm getting some. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say I don't know if dark cocoa powder, but it's not dark chocolate. But I'm kind of getting that uh, the baking uh, baking cocoa powder on the nose on this thing. And then again, from that single malt. Uh, I'm, I'm going straight to the finish on this one, right? It just, it just kind of explodes in, in the back of your mouth. And I'm getting that, uh, that earthy, uh, malty goodness. And you know, what I think is really cool about this one is it's a, I think this is a good introduction to a single malt. You know, if you're like, I don't know what a single malt is. I haven't had one. I think this one on the, on the nose and the palate, I think it's kind of, starts to work its way into the finish, which says, oh, yeah, this isn't a bourbon. We're drinking a single malt whiskey. Yeah, which exactly. is really, and that's really one nice. of the reasons we wanted to have a little bit of smoke in the blend. Not all that much. We didn't want to overwhelm with it. But uh, one of the barrels of the 12 was peated, uh, which is from Balcones in Texas. And two of them were uh, mesquite smoked from New Mexico. And we think that adds a nice the smoke surrounds it without being the dominating feature. And I, I really like that, but it's there, but not the only thing we taste. Yeah. It's interesting that, I mean, to hear it peated and, uh, and mesquite smoked, I mean, you're immediately thinking like, uh, something's, something's happening here, right? I mean, it's gonna, it's gonna, you, you, I would expect to be overpowered, which it, you know, in, in no way, shape or form does. Yeah. No, not at all. I think it's fantastic. And it's such a unique with all these different, um, distilleries i mean you're getting a ton of different parts of the country and everything it's it's very very yeah. cool very cool yeah and this is uh, 105 proof right 105 proof which is why we started with this all of the other ones are cast strength so okay yeah yeah i, I don't know that it drinks 105 i mean the, the finish is definitely unique in the sense that you know you're picking up that you know the, i'll say pete i'm probably getting a little more smoke but again I, i'm really getting kind of that more that earthy little ve little vegetal in there um not uh, i'm getting some spice kind of mid-palate but you know not not in the finish really but uh but it it definitely is continuing to finish yeah this is this is really nice um, so, I'm so excited with this that uh, the distilleries, all all their names are on the label. It's not like something that we're like secretly telling you that no one else will know. It's right there on the front and the back. Like We yeah. want to talk about the regionality of it and how it comes from all across the country and that these particular distilleries made the whiskey in this. So that's been a real privilege to be able to use their names like that. Yeah. So, which is fun, right? And I think more people are asking for, I think more consumers, at least the folks that I'm you know, talking to regularly, I mean, they're looking for that transparency. Mm -hmm. I mean, people want to know what they're drinking. And, you know, so, I mean, you know, and what you all are doing from an independent bottling standpoint, I would say is, you know, not so common in the whiskey world. I think if you look at kind of the rum side of the house, so you got a lot of rum people that are going down and, and you know, that, that are picking barrels and maybe doing some blending or, you know, a lot of single cast stuff. So, and, and that's the one thing that I really think is, you know, is, is inviting for me is the fact that you're so transparent in what you're doing. And uh, it's going to lead me to my next question in just a second, but I, I'm going to shut that beeper off, but I think it's really fun. It, you know, in the sense of, you know, it's, it, you're not trying, you're not pretending to be anything. You're not, you're not saying, Hey, you know, look, look at what we're, you're, you are saying, look at what we're producing, but not from the perspective of uh, we want you to know who we're producing it with and why. Right. 
Exactly. Uh, so, so kind of gets me to the point is how did you, we, you know, you, we kind of opened up with, or I, maybe I opened up with this is, you know, did you know where you were going to go? But I mean, how did you know that Balcona is Copperworks, Santa Fe, uh, you know, Westward, New York, then there's several, I think we got 10 or 12 partners currently, right? Yeah. Uh, how did you know that those were going to be the ones and, and, and what was there something was there commonalities that led you to those distilleries or were there significant differences that led you to those distilleries? I think to me, the commonality is really that these are all distilleries that are making whiskey that reflects where they are and their unique environment. And yeah. there are huge differences between them in flavor profile and in production methods and everything like that. But we wanted to work with Balcones because they make Texas whiskey that tastes like it was made in Texas. And New York, New York Distilling Company makes rye that tastes like it's made in New York. It doesn't taste like Kentucky rye. And that's generally what we look for. Um, and beyond that, where we say anything goes, we want to see the new styles are starting to emerge all across the country. And that's been really fun. Yeah. We do our best to not have preconceived notions or plans. Sometimes we'll say we really want a bourbon from a distillery and then they'll throw a corn whiskey in there and it'll knock our socks off. And so really we're looking for really interesting, delicious whiskey that is a discovery for the people that are buying our whiskey so they can find distilleries that they might become lifelong fans of or find flavors that they may never have experienced otherwise. Yeah, who, who, uh, I'm going to, Dan, uh, get on, i got to shut that beeper off. Cal, Cal's on house arrest, and uh, when he starts drinking, the ankle bracelet goes off, which is the beeping. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. No, um, this is great. So, um, before, uh, here he's coming back, but, um, so how do people get it now? So that right now, I mean, one of the interesting things about the pandemic is we had planned to release in April of 2020, which obviously didn't happen because stores and bars totally shut down. Um, but one of the, the things that we did do is we actually pivoted primarily to a direct to consumer model. So we partner with a few retailers and then between our two primary retailers, we can ship to 40 States. Oh, so nice. people can buy it on our website, you just go to our website, you select your state and we'll send you to the place that hopefully can send you whiskey. So it's a new thing buying alcohol on the internet, but we think it, it really gives people access to whiskey, especially in States. If they're, if you're not in New York or California or Kentucky, where there's just an overwhelming supply, you can buy whiskey in a new way. And so we're super excited to be doing that and being kind of on the forefront of launching a brand in that way. Nice. Somebody just bought some of our whiskey from Idaho. Don't think we'd necessarily have launched in Idaho at this point uh, with our couple thousand wells. <laughs> but we uh, love it. But, yeah. But we're able to send it back. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, so are you Idahoans listening to this? Uh, <laughs> hop right onto our website. It wasn't Scott Glenn, was it? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, LostLantern.com? LostLanternWhiskey.com. LostLanternWhiskey.com. Uh, so, all right. So, I'm jumping back into the – I'm going to save the rest of this. Uh, I, may get, I may revisit. Mm -hmm. well, I'm, I'm going to revisit, but I'm going to jump into the Cedar Ridge. And, and before we get into that, so so we started with a blend, and that's kind of you know where your, your direction kind of led you. That's your – I don't know. I'll call it your flagship. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Okay. And and now we're going to uh, we're going to a single barrel, right? 
Yeah. Yes. Okay. So when you're kind of deciding and electing to go down a direction, right? Are we going single? Are we blending? Uh, you know, and, and it may, well, you know, you're tasting it. It's like, hell, this has got to be single barrel. Like there's no, no question. I mean, is it that easy of an answer or it, I mean, what's the take on I'm going to blend or I'm not going to blend? Yeah. Sometimes it's really obvious and sometimes it's really hard. Like one of the barrels that went into the American Vatimal, I really, really loved it as a single cask. It was uh, one of the Santa Fe spirits barrels with an apple brandy finish on it. Oh. Uh, we thought that that added so much to the blend that it had to go in there, um, which, uh, I'll find a way to do a mesquite smoked apple brandy finish at some point. <laughs> but um, so that, that that's when it's hardest, when it's like, this is amazing as a single barrel, but would also be amazing in a blend. Yeah. Um, and then there are some that are just like, this is obviously a single cask as soon as you taste it. Yeah, because yeah, because you go from what uh, three thousand bottles out of the blend versus give or take, you're working on two hundred ish uh, for for a single barrel. So, if we're lucky, two because yeah. everything's cast strength, so it's more in the high like hundred and seventy. Yeah. Well, I guess and depending on what part of the country you get it in, right? You get something in Texas, southeast, uh, southwest. You know, you're probably going to uh, lose a little more there than than you would maybe something that uh, that may be sitting up north somewhere. So, mm, yes, that's good. definitely um, true. Yeah. So, so this Cedar Ridge, how'd you get here? We're bottled at, uh, or, uh, yeah, we're bottled at 120.5, three years. Um, how'd you get here? Why, why was this your take? So Cedar Ridge is one of the distillers we were really excited to work with from the get-go. In part, that's because I think that if you're not pretty deep into the whiskey world or from that part of the country, you probably don't know them. They're in uh, they're in Iowa. They're actually extremely popular in Iowa. They've become the number one bourbon in Iowa, which is really? the, the first craft whiskey to become the leading whiskey in the state. But beyond there, it's really hard to get it, especially at cast strength. Mm. But we really wanted to, to show that off because... I mean, until relatively recently, their flagship release was at 80, and now it's uh, 86 proof. So I think that depending on what kind of whiskey drink you are, you are, you may be less interested in that. But this is a way to showcase it in uh, at cast strength. Um, and there's something special about buying bourbon from a place that's in the Corn Belt. Like, their corn comes from their family sure. farm. So it also was really interesting to us, having had a lot of great Kentucky bourbon to say, okay, let's, let's try something from the heart of the, the, uh, corn belt. And the, the climate is totally different. So you get a, a very different style of bourbon than you do in, in warmer climates. Very windy and cold, at least when we visited in, uh, in March. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking about this one because, and, and I, I did slip a taste in, uh, but, um, so on the nose, I'm getting like, I'm envisioning like a fried apple pie <laughs> with like the granulated, uh, like some sugar, but like burnt sugar on the top of that thing. Mm. I'm kind of putting a lot of notes together, but that that's what I get on the nose. I like that on the palate. I got to revisit because, um, it, it gave me something a little bit different. Uh, and I don't know what that was just yet. <laughs> Well, our, our official tasting notes say that it reminds us of a freshly baked apple pie. So um, basically, you're totally wrong. But um, <laughs> Adam, that will not be the last time I'm wrong tonight. So don't, don't you worry. Well, that's the fun thing about tasting notes is, of course, as soon as you said that, I'm like, that does taste like a, a fried apple pie, even though I have never had such a thing or 
I'm not even sure if it's a real thing that you can do, but I'm like, yeah, that's right. No, this is like McDonald's, right? Where they just put it right in the oh. little, uh, put, put it, put it in the oven and it kind of crisp, uh, crisp the, uh, little apple pie up there. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, this is, um, yeah, yeah, this is good. So I'm definitely getting, uh, kind of that cinnamon disc mid palate, uh, which is really good. Uh, the finish on this one, you know, it's so coming off of the, uh, the vatted malt, um, I think I got that right. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, coming off the vatted malt. So the finish, it's not a shocker, uh, but uh, definitely different. I tell you, once I start, once I hit those single malts and get that finish, man, I mean, it just gets me like craving, craving mm. that that single malt finish, man, like that kind of straw earthiness. Um, yeah, but this is fantastic as well. Absolutely fantastic. About this. Sorry, go ahead. No, I want you to go. Say this has a bit of an unusual mash bill. It's a uh, 74% corn, which we see a lot of, but it's 14% malted rye and then 12% malted barley. And I've seen very little malted rye in mash bills in, in Kentucky. And we think that adds a little bit to the structure and the depth of it and is a, a fun addition. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I was, uh, I was thinking that if it, proof is 120 on this. It doesn't come across that hot to me. Does it to you, Cal? Uh, it doesn't come across hot to me. What I would say is if you're, if you're not a cast strength drinker, it may come, it, it may come. I don't think it's, it's not hot. Like I need to chase it, but you're definitely going to feel, uh, kind of that peppery That's cinnamon, you know, it, it's not like a, Oh, I got to have something to wash this down with, uh, by any means. I mean, it's absolutely, I, I love it. But it's kind of hitting my uh, hitting the front, maybe a little bit center palette on this one. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't uh, I, I would I'd want to know who was drinking before I handed them the uh, the 120 or so. Uh, they, they not, and, hey, and and if they handed it back, I mean, that'd be great. That's just another one for me. So I, I would have I would have zero issues with that whatsoever. But yeah, beautiful expression uh, like what you guys did. So are, what, are you doing anything to like what happened with this other than you bottled it? With our first releases, that, that's pretty much what we're doing. We're, we're picking the cast, finding something that's a little different than what they usually put out, a little either a little older or a higher proof or sure. something along those lines. Okay. As we as we mature, we're going to be doing more finishes of our own, aging things a little longer, which we've, we're already starting to do, um, et cetera. So that's a fun yeah. thing over time. But initially, it's all about the curation side. So bringing, yeah. bringing whiskey that is really regionally focused or even if you've heard of it you may not have gotten your hands on it so starting off with just the really interesting craft distilleries that we're excited about and then and then moving into some of the experimental stuff that we're also very excited about and collaborations with distilleries as well and specific casks Ooh, how many of those can you talk about? <laughs> None. <laughs> a lot of them, they're still in ideation with the distilleries. But I told you no curveballs, but um, <laughs> doesn't mean he's not going to pry. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you got you to ask, right? I mean, if you're if you're there, uh, so so you're shipping to forty plus states, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And, um, so if I'm, if I'm looking at Cedar Ridge and I'm like, Hey man, that sounds good. It sounds like the, I want to go that direction. Uh, how many is Cedar Ridge sold out or available? It's still available. We, we have less than two cases of it on our site at this point. Okay. So, it, so it's going, but it's still, it's still there for sure. Um, what did I see? You've got, uh, I thought I saw a bear. Yeah, 213 <laughs> bottles, right? So, yeah. yeah. So, and, and once it's gone, it's gone, right? Single, single, uh, 
or a barrel pick. And once you're there, you're there. So cool. Exactly. exactly. And we think that's the, the fun of it because it, it lets us do new and unique whiskeys from new and unique distilleries all the time. Like we tend to come out with our, our single casks in, uh, in groups in a cohort with a bourbon, a rye, single malt, maybe something else. Um, Theoretically, every quarter in the pandemic, it's more like every six months because things are sure. weird. Based yeah. on when we can get stuff out. So, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so is um, American Single Malt, uh, TTB, we still don't have a, a category for that yet, right? It's still, what, what, so what is the category? Or just a whiskey? So it's either malt whiskey, if it's, if it's, if it's in new oak and it's over 51%, it's essentially like a bourbon, but made with malted barley. Yeah, there right. is no category. If something, if, if a single malt, which is a internationally hundred percent malted barley, if that goes into used oak, then it becomes whiskey. Luckily it used to be that you had to label it even two years ago or a year ago, you had to label it as whiskey distilled from a malt mash. So you'll still see that sometimes on labels. We actually, a few of our most recent releases have that, but until we get a category now, it's just whiskey and we can label it as American single malt, but there's no real check from the TTB about what that doesn't mean anything. It means something, but it's not categorically saying, Hey, here's what you have to do from a labeling perspective. Right. Right. Yeah. Not yet. It's coming. Exactly. You can do whatever you want. It's technically counts as a fanciful name, but everything that we do follows the rules of the American single malt whiskey commission, which we're part of. Uh, and they've set more stringent guidelines for what American single malt is. Which yeah, is so, based on the international. Yeah. Meeting. So, so I guess from a sterilization standpoint, I mean, you're kind of, you're working within the confines of what it should be or what it's going to be so that it, a precedence is already set, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And so people, because when it comes down to it, we want it to be easy for consumers to pick up a bottle and know what it means. And if you're a scotch drinker, you have an idea of what American single malt means. And so we want that to mean something similar in the U.S. So, you know, when you're looking at a label, what it means, that's that's all it's about. Yeah. Yeah. No fun. Um, all right. So let's get into uh, this Balcones. And, you know, believe it or not, I don't think... I've not, I haven't drank anything from any any of the distillers that are we're drinking from tonight. So this is uh yeah it's a treat yeah it's first. So this I, I think that's the intent right? Yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. So this is one hundred twenty six point eight proof. So a step up even from the last one, um, and is a hundred percent roasted blue corn uh, mash bill. Cool. So really unique. Yeah, which is, I don't know, hopefully that color's coming through, but like really, really, really it's, dark, deep, rich color in there. I mean, just absolutely beautiful. Uh, what's the, is there an age? Day? Two years. Two years. Yeah. It's te- It's that Texas heat. <laughs> that after two years, just you get, you get the barrel influence, we think, just in two years, which is crazy. Yeah. Cool. And it was aged in a slightly bigger barrel than is normal for bourbon. It was in a 60 gallon barrel instead of 53 because that changes the amount of surface area the whiskey has to interact with. And it actually lets them, um, age it a little longer before it all evaporates. So, uh, that's yeah. a are you all doing anything with, uh, with short barrels yet? Do you, do you have anybody, uh, anybody in your list, uh, that that's doing the short, short barrels? Yeah, we had a, 
In our newest release, we had three casks from Whiskey Del Bac in Tucson, Arizona, and those were all actually in 15-gallon barrels. They were mesquite-smoked whiskeys. One of them was uh, only a little over a year old, but you would never really know that. I mean, I, I usually having reviewed craft whiskeys for many years can usually tell when something was in a small barrel. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's bad or shouldn't have been. I just can usually tell. And with those, I, I just can't, it's such a unique environment. What, what's the, what is, what's the tell on that? I mean, if I, if, if, if it's a fair question, I think they get usually get more Oak than you would expect. It's like a lot of extra Oak while still having some of that grain forward flavor from being a younger whiskey. Yeah. Um, so that's what I usually yeah. notice. You have, it hasn't integrated right. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not, we don't set any firm rules about barrel size or mash bills or anything like that. We're just going out there and tasting whiskey that we think is, is amazing. And if it's not what people are used to, if it's something untraditional so much, the better. Yeah. I'm totally getting, uh, hot corn whiskey, which mm. I am a fan of, uh, it's, but that corn is kind of bubbling through. I'm getting a little butter and like, uh, almost, uh, kind of a cracker Jackie or, uh, uh, you know, candy corn, caramel corn on this one. So really, really beautiful on those. This you is, like to say it's like maple syrup covered cornbread. It's absolutely fantastic. Ooh. Yeah. For, yeah. Awesome job guys. Oh yeah. But absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> a- absolutely. See to me, this, uh, the, um, the Cedar Ridge to me drinks hotter than this does. Yeah, I agree. That's I agree too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know why, but, um, maybe I've been drinking too much mellow corn and I'm uh, you know, kind of looking for, uh, I gotta say once when we were in Brooklyn, when we lived in Brooklyn, I was at our, my favorite beer bar and a guy came in wearing a mellow corn t-shirt I don't know how he got it, but I've wanted one ever since. I've never been able to find it. <laughs> so, you know, so we had Bernie Levers on the show a while back. So he's the, uh, you know, brand ambassador for Heaven Hill. And and I do see that Mellow Corn now has an Instagram site. And they just did a giveaway like a week or two ago. And they gave away like five or ten shirts. But it, it's like, what a tease, man. <laughs> Like I, I'm getting ready to go. Uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on some trademark infringing. I'm just oh gonna go boy. Make, make, I'm just gonna go make my own. Mm. Just just sell me that T-shirt at cast strength for a hundred dollars, and I'm going for it. There you yeah, go. Exactly. There you go. Our fastest selling whiskey was actually corn whiskey that we we bought from Iron Root Republic out of Texas as well, and that that was the distillery that we went in to buy bourbon, and they said you can buy bourbon if you want to, but you may not leave until you've tried some of our corn whiskey because we, and we were thinking corn whiskey, that's going to be so hard to sell because everyone has these preconceived notions where it's inexpensive and not necessarily as complex as bourbon. And their corn whiskey absolutely knocked our socks off. And we said like, yes, we have to have this cask and that, Single cast sold out in 20 minutes. Wow. So I, I was listening to another show you were on. Is that the one that shut your uh, website down? Yes. 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 Yeah. Where we crashed. Yeah. It crashed our par- retail partner's server wow. because there were a thousand people trying to buy 90 bottles of whiskey. <laughs> so it was a great, it was our, fr- it was our launch. And so it was a good opening to, <laughs> to this business for sure. Isn't that funny that there's this, um, I mean, you mentioned it like the preconceived notions around, you know, uh, uh corn whiskey, right. And what does that have to be? Uh, 80% corn to be considered corn whiskey, I think, or 81%, right. 
Yeah, um, 80%. Yeah, 80%. And, you know, and everybody, I mean, I immediately, I'm from, I originally am from East Tennessee. So when anytime someone says corn whiskey, like I'm going straight to, you know, moonshine, clears of a, you know, clears the water out of the tap. And uh, there is nothing pleasant about drinking it whatsoever other than you get a buzz at the end, right? I mean, it, one goal and one goal only, and it's to get high. And, you know, but, but, but think about what, you know, yep. where, where you just mentioned with, um, you know, with, with the pick that you had and then, you know, with the mellow corn, kind of the, what are the bartenders handshake, you know, right. That, that's going on, that, that's happens or that happens. And it, I mean, there's totally a market, which again, with American single malt, totally a market for that. And people want it. I just think the, the, the lack of, I think the lack of exposure and, it's just not there. Right. I mean, if I go into the store, I'm just so overwhelmed by the marketing machine. I, it just, there's nothing that leads me to, Oh, I'm going to go over here and get this because you've got so, you know, let me look at behind me. Right. I mean, you just kind of gravitate towards, uh, you know, what the people say you should drink. And, uh, I'm getting out of that though. I'm breaking the mold I'm breaking it with lost lantern. And this one is, uh, it could be my favorite. What you did do, is you sent three expressions of yours that I don't know. I everything is so uniquely different. It is, yeah. It, it's it's like a, I don't I wouldn't want to choose, right? I mean, if you <laughs> if you lined them up amongst something else, you know, and you kind of did some blind tastings, you could go through some things if you were ranking them. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's really it, it's it's unique in what you're doing and and how you're introducing. Uh, distillers, labels, brands, whatever you want to call them, uh, you know, to other people that otherwise wouldn't have access to that. Yeah, very cool. Exactly. And that, for us, that's the fun is that it is, it is constantly different. It's new things all the time and new things in very different directions. And we get to, that's the great thing about being transparent is we get to talk about it. We're not going to blindside anyone with it. We're like, this is, this is cool and unusual. And here's why. And we would love if, you were to say, wow, I love Balcones. I'm going to go try everything they've ever made and fall in love with them. That is a great outcome to us. And it also is one of the reasons why distilleries want to work with us because our job is telling their story and how great is that for them and great it is for us as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what's, uh, what's the future look like for, uh, I don't know. Did you tell us where Lost Lantern came from? I mean, why the Lost Lantern? We, we see it as shining a light on, on distilleries that haven't been discovered yet or on whiskeys that otherwise would be lost. Um, we heard so many times from distillers talking about, I have these barrels that I really love and I have to use them in a blend and I wish I didn't have to, I wish they could get out there a single cast mm. or got these barrels that are a little different than what we normally do, but I don't know what to do with them. And that's when we're like, hello, we'll <laughs> take that. Exactly. Hey, this is Hudson Swaffer, and you're listening to Birdies and Bourbon. Yeah. So is it a, I mean, I guess, are you going in a direction? So you already said you're kind of, you're putting some stuff down. You're going to do some, some finishing, um, 
what's different? So if I, if I'm listening to this podcast for the first, you know, and, and I don't know who lost Leonard is and, and I'm hearing, okay, you're doing some, you're doing barrel picks, right. And, and, or maybe you're doing barrel picks and blending. So we could be single cast. We could be blending. What's unique and different about Lost Lanterns bottles than, uh, you know, I go down the street to my store and I get one of their barrel picks. Yeah. I mean, I think some of it is that you can get access to whiskey that often stores can't because things are so regionally focused is we're finding whiskey and on the single cast side, bringing forward distilleries that you wouldn't necessarily have access to otherwise also were cast strength. And so that's often different than a store barrel pick. It's not always, but, um, it is. And we're also looking for unique barrels, even from those distilleries. So a new perspective, it's not going to taste exactly like their core line from a blending perspective. The really cool thing for us personally is we're combining flavors that don't go together when a single distillery makes it, for example, with the American Vatten malt, we don't think anyone had put mesquite smoked single malt and peated single malt together before. We actually, before we invited the distilleries, we spent a couple of days doing tests to make sure those things even played well together because for all we knew, it could taste terrible. So from the blending side, we're able to, to create flavors that don't exist with a single distillery. And we're continuing, we're in the process now of coming up with another blend. We're going to continue coming out with both this curated lineup of things that you will have confidence are going to taste great and are going to be from distilleries you may not have heard of before. And we're going to provide these blends that are just totally different than what other people are doing. And once again, provide a unique perspective on what American whiskey can be. I mean, I just went back to this American vatted malt, and I don't know if it's because I've had the other two expressions or not, but and I may date myself because I don't even know if these things exist anymore, but there were these little caramel chews, and they had like this <laughs> vanilla kind of thing in the middle of them. And like on the nose, like I, like I'm in the, I'm envisioning that that's what I'm getting ready to eat is like this caramel chew with this oh, little boy. vanilla center. <laughs> I'm, I, like I am familiar with those. My mom is a very big fan of <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you know, and I don't, I don't remember what they were called, but maybe in caramel chewers. I, I don't know, but it was With the uh, vanilla in the middle. Yeah, it had like a little, and it wasn't like a like liquid. The white. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 the white kind of candied, uh, candy thing in the middle, and that's totally what I get on the nose on this thing. Hmm. And you know, here's the other thing. It's like I've gone back, so we've we've gone through the proofs and we've gone through some different profiles. I'm back to this, and I've found something new in the American Vatted. And it's like, you know, I mean, sometimes if when you go down different roads and, hey, you're like, we're going on a malt and then we're going on something that's a little higher proof or uh, 100 percent corn, you may not be able to go back and revisit and kind of appreciate or get something out of it. And I'd say that's absolutely not the case on uh, on the first one, for sure. I think it's G-O-E-T-Z. I don't know how you say it, though. G-O-E. Is it Goatsy? Yeah, Goatsy. Yeah. Goatsy. 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 Yeah. And yeah. he, uh, I thought he was like a musician. He could be that. He could be that too. Jose. Yeah. Jose. Uh, yeah. This is fantastic. Uh, so I didn't ask where are you guys at. Like where uh, you know we don't don't give the address. This is being recorded. No. And, and and Dan may show up. <laughs> So we were actually in Vermont when we oh. started our road trip. We've been living in New York before that, but. Uh, we had been in the city for 10 years for me, 14 for Nora. Yeah. 
and decided that enough, that was enough of that for us. Uh, and Nora, Nora grew up in Vermont, so we settled here after our road trip. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I spent some time up in New Hampshire in the White Mountains. So just uh, kind of across the way, but yeah. Uh, yeah, with some family up there. So, yeah. It's a really convenient place to get barrels sent to since it's in the very far north corner of the country and there's lots of mountains and snow. So that was. <laughs> so, so you're, you're, you're like fish eyeing Nora and uh, she, she's like uh, kind of popping you. So I'm assuming that Nora, it's all your fault. Well, luckily I'm the one that has to deal with the issues because I handle all the logistics. So he's like, fine, if you're going to make this hard for yourself, by all means, go ahead. <laughs> like when Nora had to try to get barrels off of Nantucket in Massachusetts, there's no bridges from Nantucket to the mainland. Those barrels had to come over on a ship. Yeah. Oh gosh. My <laughs> While still being in bond by, for the TTB's purposes. So that was a uh, nice... Uh, so I heard that mentioned. Can you talk a little, because, you know, most people, and, and as soon as I heard in bond, if you don't want to go down this road, you don't have to, it's it maybe a little uh, whiskey nerdy, but when most people hear in bond, as, as I did, they probably think immediately bottled in bond. And there's probably a nuance or a piece of that that is the same or maybe not. Uh, but can you talk a little about what that, what, what does in bond mean versus bottled in bond? So bottled in bond is how is that how it ends. If it was in bond for its entire life and meets all the other requirements, it can be bottled in bond. But basically, it means that it's under government supervision for the its entire lifespan, which doesn't mean exactly what it did in the 1890s when this sure. first happened. Uh, for for our purposes, it basically just means that it is always either in a bonded warehouse or in a form of transport. That I guess is the transport itself bonded, or is it just certified that? Yeah. As permissible. And, and really, it just means when we bottle whiskey, we pay taxes yeah. to the federal government yeah. and the state government. And when it's in bond, you haven't paid that. And there are storage requirements that are different, but it means that we haven't even even when we're putting it on a boat or a truck or something like that, it stays in bond, meaning we haven't paid the taxes and it stays in a vessel that gotcha. we're not going to sell it in. Yeah. Cause it's a chain of custody thing, right? I mean, it, yes. because the chain of custody, even though, you know, I I'm, I'm the steamador or the steamship and I, or the, the, whatever boat, you know, the flat boat and I take it on. It's the chain of custody has passed to me, but ownership hasn't. So it, that's kind of where we're going, right? Right. Yeah. And Basically. we actually have to apply to the yeah. government to transfer it in bond. And you give all the information it has to go from one distillery to another distillery to stay in bond. It couldn't go to our house or anything yeah. like that there. It's, it's all basically staying under the purview of someone with a license to make distilled products. Basically, we can't just drive down to Waco to visit Balcones in our pickup truck that we don't have and say, toss a couple barrels in the back and then drive back to Vermont. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds, uh, I mean, that's quite an undertaking. I mean, it, it's a, a good undertaking, obviously. I mean, things are working out well for you, but it's, um, uh, it, and it sounds like you made the, I mean, it sounds like there was a lot of stewing or marinating on, Hey, there's something we need to do. But when you decided you needed to do it, it sounds like you pulled the trigger really quick on let's go. I mean, we, it's, we, we tell that story like that, but actually we spent even, we spent a year talking about it. And then when we decided we should probably do it, I actually, we spent a year 
modeling it out and, and trying to figure out if it was even legally possible to do yeah. this in the U.S. because every state has totally different laws and is effectively, from a legal perspective, a different country when it comes to alcohol because of prohibition era laws. So it took a lot of work to make sure that we could do this. We could blend it. We could label it in a way that made sense. So it actually took a long time. And then even when we said, wow, this could this could work. We didn't know if people would sell us whiskey. And that's when we went on the road to see if people would actually give us whiskey to play with and to <laughs> bottle and all of that. So it, we tell the story in a way where it's like, we did it, but it actually, there was a lot of work and uh, so yeah. a lot of paperwork, a lot of modeling, all of which Nora had to do. <laughs> um, and that, that's the fun part about that. But, but for me, it was great that I, I thought getting people to sell us whiskey would be the hard part. Turns out that's the easy part. And especially with American single malt producers, we started talking to them about this. So many of them basically said, finally, we wanted an American independent bottler to happen. And we really want to, to help you make this happen. That's why we've been able to work with so many great distilleries early on. Trailblazers. Yeah, exactly. Well, and yeah. he's also very modest, but one of the great things about working whiskey ad with working at Whiskey Advocate and getting to know these distillers is they all trusted him. They knew that he really cared. And so when we walked in the door, they were immediately interested. Mm -hmm. Even even if they weren't totally sold, the fact that this was his project sure. made it easier for us to to talk to people and they would some people would put us through the ringer and ask us all of the hard questions because we're using their brand on our label yeah, yeah sure so it makes sense but but the fact that i mean him primarily but both of us have this really long history in the industry also got our foot in the door in a way that we wouldn't have otherwise. So, so if somebody comes to you, uh, Nora and Adam and, and they ask and they say, Hey, we, we want, we want to dip our toe in the water and we want to go down this road and we trust you and we know you're going to do good stuff, but we don't want our name on the label. So can you mask it? Is that a, is that a, maybe, is it a no, is it a why? I mean, what, what's the take there? So we, we always give distilleries an out. And in part, that's because we're, this is a new model for the U S we're a new company. It always, before we bottle something, we can always send them a sample and tell them, Hey, you get to try this. If you say this isn't quite something that not quite right, doesn't quite fit with my brand, then it turns into instead of Balcone straight bourbon turns into Texas straight bourbon whiskey. But we have, we've never had to do that yet. Um, where we expect it'll happen sometimes because brand names like ownership changes, yeah, right. different people have different rules. Yep. Maybe we'll put something in a Tabasco cask and it won't <laughs> turn out so hot. Who knows? But, um, but I think, I think in general, as a starting off point, we want people to buy into the idea of what we're doing and we're and cause what part of what we're doing is talking about these distilleries and why it's exciting that we're working with them. So we want to make sure that someone is bought in on the other side as yeah, well. Sure. Yeah. So I think someone came in and said, you definitely can't use my name, but I'll sell you whiskey we would have a much longer conversation and try to convince them to let us use their name <laughs> under very, we, we have some pretty stringent contracts with some of our suppliers right. where they have like pretty serious stipulations because they're a bigger name or they're protected yeah, or whatever. But the idea is as a starting off point, we want to be there saying, yeah, you can probably use our name. Yeah. Sometimes it's like can only be bottled on the second full moon of the month on a Friday the 13th. Something like that. We just got to follow the rules. I, hey, I haven't been drinking that much. Well, maybe I have, but I, I caught that. <laughs> uh, so what's um, 
who's the, when were you most surprised by uh, who contacted you without you having to reach out to them? Cheers. Uh, who, who contacted you? Like you're on your tour, you're going through the, the whirlwind of the U.S. and hitting these distilleries. Who didn't you go to that said, hey, why didn't you stop by here? When are you going to do it? You can share or not share. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can say one place that I really wanted to visit that we just haven't made it to yet is uh, Far North Spirits in Minnesota. And when they're called Far North, they're called that for a reason. Really? About okay. a? Six, a? six and a half hours north of Minneapolis. I didn't know you could go that far. Um, <laughs> it's the northernmost distillery in the continental United States. It's a farm distillery. They're growing all their own grain, uh, making really interesting whiskey. Um but that's just way off the beaten path. And I know them. I like them. We just have to get up there someday. Um, but then every once in a while, the great thing is when we discover distilleries that we had never heard of before or didn't know very well at all before we had traveled. And these first releases were distilleries that we already knew we wanted to work with and we're really excited about in general. Uh, but for our, our next set of releases, which we uh, haven't announced yet and i'll be uh won't say anything about we do have some distilleries that no, we so, excuse me adam i didn't catch the names of the, what was that <laughs> oh sorry they're called uh Embar sorry, broke up for they're embargoed still yeah. <laughs> you're, you're break you're breaking up you're breaking yeah. up <laughs> Um, but yeah, we'll have some distilleries that we didn't know as well that are um, often pretty regional and only available in a couple of states. Um, and we think that's really fun, especially because some of them have developed real followings in that area, but they just sure. don't make it beyond there at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, so I just hit the um, I, I shouldn't say I hit. I just sampled the uh, the Cedar Ridge again. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I mean, th this is a really nice pairing you guys sent to us, or folks sent to us, excuse me. But, I mean, was there, because you sent these because they were available, right? I mean, this is what's still available. And is everything else sold out until the next releases? It's sold out on our site. It's still available through uh, some of it through Sealbox and through Mission Liquor in California and a few select stores in Kentucky, um, and which are not under our closer control. Um, but we also, we know you're, you're bourbon folks and thought it would be interesting to taste two things that, in our opinion, are both really good, but both taste really different from Kentucky bourbon in very different ways. So we thought that was a fun very contrast. Very fun and, and great quality ways, man. They were, they were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see going outside of the whiskey world? I, I just saw Alan or New York Distilling released a... Um, what are they really? I've been harassing him about getting a bottle because it looked like it was sold out. And I'm like, I know he's got one, but he did a gin finished in vermouth barrels. Mm. So do you see yourselves kind of going down some different paths of uh, we, we may venture out of whiskey and get into or is that uh, you're not going to tell me anything? <laughs> I, I'll say I really want to. I think there's some really good American brandy, both grape brandy and especially apple brandy. Mm. Um, and then Nora is smartly like, you know, if we buy it, then we have to sell it to people. And that's a little, uh, for um, apple brandy, it's still very early stages. Yes. In um, the future, we would love to work with brandy and American rum for sure. Cause there's some interesting stuff going on there, but we want to, we want to get our traction first in the whiskey space and, and figure out our sourcing there and find, find the people that are going to drink what we what we put out first that's our that's our agreement but we did we had a new york distilling company apple brandy finished rye that 
very much evokes apple brandy and calvados and that felt like that was cl- that was close enough for you in the short term right for, for now yeah um, <laughs> but also whiskey is our expertise right. if we were doing american rum we have to learn that from the ground up yes. just like anyone else because we've sure. done whiskey for years so this is where it made sense for us to be mm. Yeah, cool. So uh, I don't, we will have to let you go shortly. You've uh, you've been gracious enough, gracious enough to share some time with us and uh, fantastic uh, stuff, stuff that you're doing over here. Great, um, great picks, if you will, and, and, and bottles that you've shared. Uh, so a couple questions for me. Dan may have some, too. Uh, if you're not drinking your own selections, what do you what do you what's a daily drinker for Nora and Adam? I can I can go, go first, first. Um, <laughs> especially during the pandemic. Uh, I've been drinking a lot of Wild Turkey One Hundred and One, uh, and actually drinking a lot of Evan Williams Bottled in Bond, which mm. nice fifteen sixteen dollars in Vermont, and that can that goes a long way. Oh yeah, um, big fan. Yeah. And I would say outside of the whiskey world, my original love. So I started working at Astor Wines and Spirits because I loved wine. So for me, if I'm not drinking whiskey, it's often drinking, drinking a glass of wine. But if I'm drinking whiskey, I love, I, I go to scotch often. So my favorite scotch producer is Brooke Lottie. Cause it's, it's a balance of a little bit of smoke, but not too much, which we feel like is is the american bad malt is in that line so what, what's your daily bottle on the wine side mm-hmm. daily bottle it's i don't we don't buy the same thing but i but we'll um in the summer we drink a lot of gruner veltliner from austria because those are under 15 dollars. some of the best white wine you can get out there in the summer cool okay that's cool yeah. that's a great awesome. question Kel. Uh, oh, people love talking about what table wine is the best they love yeah, what what table wines like yeah. what can you open up and if we don't drink it all i mean not that we wouldn't drink it all but uh yeah but it, you know i mean you're not killing the bank right i mean and those are two great examples of a bourbon and a wine that uh i mean you bought a bourbon and a wine in those two that are, uh, what are you, less than 40 bucks? Uh, I don't know, call it uh, 45 with tax, give or take. And yeah. uh, you can pretty much satisfy everybody with, with their appetite. Cal's exactly. been pitching $40 a day. You know how, um, what's her name, did right. it on the Food Channel or whatnot? He, would, he wants to do He wants <laughs> no, to do on the, Ray, on, the, on the booze side. $40 a day with Cal. Here we go. I love it. Yeah. We, should, we should probably also give a shout out to Vermont Beer. So this is one of the best mm. uh, beer states in oh, the country. Cool. Well, okay. So what's your favorite uh, Vermont beer? That's a tough one. I feel like uh, we're. It's, wait, it's, let, let me, don't give me your favorite. Give me. Um, give me three <laughs> that I that I may or may not have tried that I should definitely pick up. So, we won't give the super local Vermont ones where you can only buy them in a tiny town in Vermont. So I think I will. No, but I think when it comes to, when it comes to Vermont beer, if you I'm haven't had stuff from the alchemist like heady topper and focal Ooh, banger those are like great. the original the classic new england ipa um we also love lawson's and that's more broadly available mm. sip of sunshine and then i'll, I'll do one more local one then hold, hold, hold on i know the alchemist but i don't know uh what did you say lawson's lawson's like yeah. l-a-w-s-o-n yes lawson's finest liquids yes so i know the alchemist but i've i don't think i've had lawson's if i did i'd have had uh, way too much to drink and I don't remember it. So, <laughs> I mean, Sip of Sunshine, which is their most well-known one, is a bright yellow can. So if you see that, 
now you know. Yeah. Um, and then our, our probably favorite local brewery to us here where we're just outside of Burlington is foam, um, which is a kind of new wave of Vermont IPA that is super exciting. And they're starting to distribute a little bit outside of Vermont a little bit. So that's not a total local name. Are you going to do the one that is in the like tiny? Okay, fine. Foam is one of those breweries that never makes the same beer twice. Yes. So, which is, which is always fun and hard for, from a branding (laughs) perspective, but I guess we know a little bit about that too. And Uh, that's your MO, man. (laughs) And I I also love Red Clover, which is a, a small brewery in Brandon, Vermont, which is a town of maybe like negative 10 people. And, uh, uh, their their beer is amazing. It's, it's a so good. it's a ten barrel system. I think you can only get the maybe even smaller than that. You can only get the beer right there. Um, Not even in stores. They're yeah. winning lots of awards, and it has uh, cute birds and flowers on the can. So I, I'm a big fan of that. Very cool. I'll drink to that. <laughs> uh, by the way, I did kill that vatted mall. I got to get a bottle of that. And uh, I'm working on the sack. I was like, I'm going to save a little bit of these and drink them later. And I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. That's too good. <laughs> so what part of New York did you guys live in for all those years? In Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Um, okay. Yeah. I don't think we had many Brooklyn uh, diamonds in the rough. Uh, where are you going to eat in Brooklyn? Diamond in the rough. I don't even know what's there anymore. But what, uh, I, what I miss from when we lived there okay. is... It was Indian food, Thai food, everything like that, which is... Know, give me, give it, you know, at a restaurant? I don't think I can, I don't even... <laughs> that's like okay. deleted okay. that from our range. I mean, one of the, the restaurants that we know is not there anymore, but mm. um, P- New York pizza, everyone loves, but there are some kind of Naples style, like Franny's was our favorite, which no longer exists. Roberta's, and Roberta's, which is in Williamsburg, is a classic. And I feel like I miss that, the really beautiful pillowy pizza that you can get in, in Brooklyn does not exist up here, really. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't miss the fancy big name restaurants. I miss like the corner bagel place, yeah. the corner. Yeah, no, that's, what, no, that's what we're asking. Yeah, where, where do you go to get the best bagel in, uh, in Brooklyn? Uh, usually old Brooklyn bagel shop, which is in prospect Heights and, uh, huge bagels. I like a poppy seed. It's a nice, uh, classic more than in everything sometimes. No, so Italian. so oh. you're in, you're in Brooklyn. So, uh, New York distillings in Brooklyn. Yes. Like, were you guys regulars? Or, I, I don't, I don't mean regulars, but I mean, did you know Alan from, uh, from whiskey advocate and from, uh, from where you were? I mean, was that like a connection that was already established and made and, uh, yeah. I, I I knew Tom Potter, his co-founder, better, but I, I used to run into Alan at these big uh, whiskey cocktail competitions and launch events and stuff like that in New York over the years. So we knew each other a little bit, and they were actually the very first people that we asked to be in our program, and uh, they were the first to say yes. So that was uh, that felt really good, and it was really important for us to have them as our first try. Cool, because they're yes. in hometown yeah. distillery. Yeah. Very yeah. cool, very cool. Yeah, yeah. awesome people there at, uh, at that. And, and I love what y'all are doing again. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that um, you know, how do you how do you connect people that are trying to do really great stuff, transparent uh, tr- transparency, right? I mean, Hey, here's what we're doing. Here's what you're getting. Here's what you're drinking. And, and it's reasonable. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to asterisk with, uh, the good there or, or finger quote, the good thing about COVID is it's given us the ability to be able to, uh, to do what's well, given you the ability to do the things that you're doing, right. To, to get whiskey, uh, and whatever variation it is to other people that, that, that they wouldn't have been able to get it to. Absolutely. 
Yeah, exactly. So one, real quick, uh, we have not had anybody on from Vermont yet. Tell us something we don't know about Vermont we should do if we ever get to that area. You, you go. Well, I don't know what you know about Vermont. I don't skiing know anything. Doesn't, skiing doesn't count and cheese doesn't count. We know those already. And whistle pig doesn't count. <laughs> Well, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, learning how to hike in the winter where, with like micro spikes strapped on Ooh. going up, going up the mountain. You get incredible views everywhere because there are no leaves on the trees and uh, just can't go to anywhere too deep in the mountains or else you're going to run into trouble, or at least I am. But love winter hiking those cold, crisp winter days. Cool. Uh, any notables that you should, uh, so if we're in Vermont and I'm a little bit familiar, but, uh, are there any local spots in Vermont that you have to stop at? I mean, we would say, we would say red clover, the brewery, because you can oh, only yeah, get it clover. there okay. Bar Hill. and bar Hill. Yeah. Bar Hill, which makes gin in Vermont. It's, they have a new facility that is absolutely gorgeous state-of-the-art distillery and also amazing cocktail bar in montpelier um oh, cool cool it's tiny capital of vermont but it is that's yeah it's a it's a world-class distillery yeah. oh very cool the smallest state capital in the country has seven or eight thousand people um which is stark contrast to phoenix which is the biggest with like four million people <laughs> and uh bar hill i would say is mm. the best cocktail bar in in montpelier and one of the best in vermont yeah Cool. Cool. Nice. Nora, Adam, thanks for spending some time with us. I'm definitely going to get through the rest of these whiskeys. I will assure you, I will not have any issues with that. Uh, will you tell people where they can find you and how can they find this fabulous whiskey that you're bottling? So we're on Instagram at Lost Lantern Whiskey. We're on Twitter at Lost Lantern Dram. And on Facebook as Lost Lantern Whiskey. And then you can buy our whiskey and check out all of the barrel details on each of these releases on our website, lostlanternwhiskey.com. The transparency is, it, it may be more than you want, but uh, I'd rather have more is less. So it, just like the whiskey. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Thank uh, you guys. Cheers, y'all. Thanks cheers. so much for sharing some time with us. All right, cheers. Bye.